This week, Unity seeks going concern waiver from term lenders. Ditech files Chapter 11 plan. Intelsat stock and bonds drop after head of C-Band Alliance resigns. More on all this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we, on a weekly basis, bring you the latest top developments in high yield and distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm Alex Brosman, reporting from Reorg's offices in New York City. And I'm Adam Rhodes. Later, our director of credit research, Mark Fisher, sits down with emerging market senior distressed debt analyst and LATAM team lead Kyle Owusu and covenant analyst Peter Washkowitz. They'll discuss Digicel Constellation Oil, formerly known as QGOG, and Odebrecht. Stay tuned for that interview. It's Sunday, March 10th. Unity Group kicked off the week by announcing that it is seeking an amendment and limited waiver under its credit agreement to waive any default resulting from going concern language in an audit opinion from PricewaterhouseCoopers. The company says it expects to see that going concern language in the audit opinion as a result of the recent Windstream Chapter 11 filing. Unity, which has historically paid dividends above the rate required to maintain its REIT status, said that under the amendment, it expects aggregate dividends paid during the upcoming four quarters to be limited to approximately $140 million. Reorg reported that Unity is offering its term loan lenders a 50 basis point consent fee and a tighter junior debt prepayment basket in addition to the dividend restriction. Lender consents are due March 12th to administrative agent Bank of America, which hosted a lender call regarding the amendment on Monday afternoon. In the PG&E cases, the parties continue to confront the effects of the California wildfires. On Wednesday, Judge William Alsop of the United States District Court for the Northern District of California issued a revised order to show cause why the court should not modify the conditions of PG&E's probation relating to the San Bruno gas explosion. Judge Alsop highlighted that PG&E paid out dividends of $798 million and $925 million in 2017 and 2016, respectively. Some of these dividends, quote, could and should have been kept and used to bring PG&E into compliance with state and federal law with respect to what has become the number one cause of PG&E-induced wildfires, he said. In the revised order, Judge also proposes that to ensure that sufficient financial resources are available for wildfire mitigation purposes, PG&E may not issue any dividends until it is in compliance with all applicable vegetation management requirements. Meanwhile, sources told Reorg this week that the Tort Claimants Committee in PG&E's Chapter 11 cases has selected Berkeley Research Group and Dundon Advisors, which pitched together as financial advisors. The committee also engaged Lincoln International as investment banker, the sources said. Also, the ad hoc committee of senior unsecured note holders of Pacific Gas and Electric Company in the Chapter 11 cases filed a verified Rule 2019 statement disclosing the group's holdings. The 24-member group, represented by Aiken Gump, holds approximately $9.8 billion of PG&E debt obligations in the aggregate. The largest creditor in the group is Pacific Investment Management Co. The second largest creditor in the group is Elliott, followed by Davidson Kempner, Varde, Third Point, Centerbridge, and Citadel. Mortgage loan originator Ditech filed its plan of reorganization and disclosure statement on Tuesday. The plan, consistent with the debtor's restructuring support agreement, 
sets out a dual track process. One track consists of pursuing a debt to equity recapitalization transaction under which holders of term loan claims would receive 100% of the new common stock of reorganized DITEC. The other track is a simultaneous marketing process in which the debtors will solicit bids for the sale of any and all of their assets. The plan permits the debtors to toggle between a sale and a restructuring transaction, depending on which is determined to represent a higher value. Also, the term loan lenders may elect to request that the debtors enter into a sale transaction, provided that certain criteria are satisfied. The reorganization transaction would serve as a backstop to the marketing process and would bring more than $800 million in funded debt off of Ditech's balance sheet, the debtors say. Intelsat's shares and bonds traded lower on Tuesday, with the equity falling by as much as 16%, as Preston Patton stepped down from his role as head of advocacy and government relations for the C-Band Alliance, or CBA, effective that day. On Friday, Intelsat's stock opened at $17.76, compared with an open price of $23.50 on Monday. Patton said that he was stepping down for personal reasons. The CBA is made up of Intelsat, SES, Utilsat, and Telesat, and the group has proposed to the FCC a market-based framework for clearing a portion of the CMAN spectrum. Intelsat has taken the view that this approach would result in licensed mobile services within 18 to 36 months of an FCC order. Patton's replacement has not yet been announced, but in an emailed statement, Patton said he was able to, quote, propose a strong executive and good friend to replace him. He also said that there would be more to come from CBA on this shortly. On the island of Puerto Rico, Governor Ricardo Rosseo expressed confidence that his administration's relationship with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development will ensure the effective disbursement of $8.2 billion in additional federal funding the agency approved last week. HUD has announced that it will be placing strict conditions and financial controls on the disbursement of funds. The federal agency has previously approved $1.5 billion of the more than $20 billion of funds, bringing the total amount approved so far to $9.7 billion. Roseo said that his administration welcomes the HUD controls and wants to make sure that taxpayer money is utilized in the best way possible. The governor also released a statement urging the U.S. Senate to approve a disaster bill that includes an additional $600 million in supplemental nutrition assistance program funding for Puerto Rico. The bill also addresses infrastructure, education, nutrition, and housing needs in the Commonwealth. While the disaster bill enjoys bipartisan support, the administration of President Donald Trump has opposed extending an additional $600 million to Puerto Rico under the program. Also this week, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit denied a petition from the union UTIR for a rehearing or rehearing and bank on the court's February 15th opinion holding that members of the PROMISA Oversight Board were not appointed in compliance with the U.S. Constitution's Appointments Clause. UTR has pressed for a rehearing because although the First Circuit held the, the board members' appointments were unconstitutional, it declined to dismiss the Oversight Board's Title III petitions or void other actions taken by board members. The Oversight Board on Friday said it wel- welcomed this decision and asserted that the denial reaffirms the court's earlier decision finding that the board's actions stand valid and in full force in effect. 
Those were some of the most active names in Reorg's coverage this week, but there is plenty of other news. Sources told Reorg that Hexian's 1.5 lien note holders organized with Perella Weinberg and Jones Day. In the Sears saga, ESL Investments affiliate Transform Hold Co. filed a motion on Wednesday requesting that the bankruptcy court assign certain asset purchase agreement-related matters to mediation. Judge Marvin Isger finally confirmed the Parker Drilling Debtors Chapter 11 plan after a highly contested evidentiary hearing. In its latest letter to the Neiman Marcus Board, Marble Ridge highlighted skyrocketing CDS prices and hinted at manipulation. Also, Scientific Games priced $1.1 billion of senior unsecured notes due 2026. Hornbeck retired $73.9 million in principal amount of 2019 notes for an aggregate purchase price of approximately $67.2 million. Tesla entered into a $521 million equivalent loan in Renminbi with Chinese lenders to fund its Shanghai Gigafactory. Tesla also increased the capacity of its ABL by $500 million to $2.425 billion. Other top red stories of this week were, Is the Working Group proposes amendments to address narrowly tailored credit events, including credit deterioration requirement to fail, for failure to pay determination. New coverage, Riverstone-backed Alta Mesa Resources curtails 2019 activity as well degradation forces review of spacing assumptions, drilling location count. New coverage, United Natural Foods continued integration headwinds drive company to reduce fiscal year 19 adjusted EBITDA guidance. Next, here's legal analyst Karen Lung with the week ahead. Kicking off the week, we'll be on the alert for a Chapter 11 filing from CTI Foods, a provider of custom food solutions for the food service industry. According to documents reviewed by Reorg, CTI Foods has entered into a restructuring support agreement under which the company has agreed to file a prepack on or before Monday. Consenting creditors have agreed to provide an $80 million DIP ABL facility and a $75 million DIP term loan facility, the documents say. Ascent Capital Group's cash tender offer to purchase all outstanding 4% convertible senior notes due 2020 also draws to a close on Monday. Rolling into Tuesday, we'll be listening to earnings calls on fourth quarter results from Northern Oil and Gas and Pacific Drilling. The U.S. trustee is holding a formation meeting for an official committee of unsecured creditors in the Windstream Holdings Chapter 11 case. And speaking of Windstream, like Adam mentioned earlier, Tuesday is the deadline for lenders under Unity's credit agreement to submit consents to waive any event of default, resulting from a going concern modification from Unity's auditor related to the Windstream bankruptcy. We'll also be keeping an eye on an omnibus hearing in the PG&E case, a plan exclusivity hearing in Exco Resources, and a disclosure statement hearing for Synergy Pharmaceuticals. The LBI media debtors will head back to court to hear a ruling from Judge Christopher Sanchi in the company's ongoing fight with a group of secondly note holders who have filed litigation challenging LBI's pre-petition refinancing transaction with HPS Investments. Wednesday, March 13th, brings us more Q418 earnings calls from Quorum Health and Tailored Brands, as well as omnibus hearings for Puerto Rico and PG&E. There's also an early tender deadline for Bombardier's 2021 notes cash tender offer. After hump day, it'll be a busy earnings day on Thursday, 
with conference calls on fourth quarter results from Advance Pharma, that's formerly Concordia, Chaparral Energy, Vantage Drilling, and Bellatrix Exploration. In-court action includes a second-day hearing for DITEC and a planned confirmation hearing for offshore vessel operator Toysa Limited. Rounding out the week, all eyes will be on helicopter operator PHI, which has $500 million of five and a quarter senior notes coming due on Friday. Friday is also the consent deadline for Affinion Group's private offer to exchange existing senior cash 12.5-15.5 pick notes due 2022, and the expiration date for an exchange offer from Navios Maritime Holdings. Jones Energy has coupon payments due on its nine and a quarter first lien secured notes due 2023 and on its nine and a quarter unsecured notes due 2023. At a hearing in New Jersey, Aceto Corporation will seek approval of bidding procedures for its Chemical Plus business with a $338 million stocking horse offer in hand from a New Mountain Capital affiliate. That's all for the week ahead. And not to worry, Jim Holloway will be back next week. Back to you, Alex. Thank you, Karen. And now we turn it over to Mark, Kyle, and Peter. Thank you, Alex. Uh, so I'm here uh, again with our Latin America uh, monthly or every five weekly. Uh, <laughs> often um, we do it. Uh, Kyle Awusu is once again uh, with us, senior distressed analyst uh, covering Latin America. And we are going to talk about a few companies that a couple of them we've talked about before. Um, one of them, not sure uh, we have, but all very interesting topics. And to aid the conversation, too, we're also here with uh, Covenant Analyst Peter Washkowitz. So thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, the few names that we're going to discuss, all very active, one of which is recently in the market. Uh, Digicel is one. Uh, Constellation Oil Services, formerly known as QGOG. And one that we've spoken about a lot, Odebrecht, um, is, is another name we'll be discussing today. So let's, uh, Kyle, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Digicel, I said that they recently uh, did a bond offering. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so the uh, two of the company's Caribbean-based subsidiaries, Digicel International Finance Limited and Digicel Holdings Bermuda Limited, um, were co-issuers on an issuance that was originally $550 million, um, but since got upsized to, to $600 million and was priced at par um, and was over three times oversubscribed um, with proceeds, uh, most of the proceeds going to pay down um, a hundred million revolver and a three hundred million term loan, and the rest going to general working capital purposes. Um, but the the press release did say that uh, some of those proceeds could be um, sent up to the uh, the parent. And and why do do all that? What's you know what's the broader rationale here for doing this deal? Yeah, so they um, they announced the day before um, that the the international intercept. Digicel International Finance Limited, um, DIFL, uh, revolving credit facility, and term loan A lenders agreed to increase um, a total leverage covenant from from five to five times from four and a half times in exchange for paying down the revolver and uh, a partial pay down of the term loan. So I really think that this is uh, the goal here was similar, somewhat similar to the prior exchange uh, where, where um, you know, the, the idea is just to sort of lengthen the maturity profile 
Um, here you also get an increase in liquidity with some of the cash um, going to the balance sheet, which gives a little more optionality. Great. And why don't you tell us about the capital structure reaction, the individual bond reaction? It looks like uh, some up a little bit, others got hit pretty hard on this news. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, the 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 hold co bonds um, maturing in in twenty two seem to have gotten hit harder. So, you know, even though um, you have the the structurally subordinated um, and also sort of uh, it, they, it maturing in twenty four, so not maturing first and out of the uh, out of the, the three securities in, in the hold co bonds, the the DGL twenty four bonds they only declined by around two points to 28.30 from 30.32. Um, but meanwhile, the, se- the structurally senior DGL-122 bonds um, fell by about four points to 60.61. Um, and the DGL-2 um, 2022 bonds also fell by roughly you know four points to 29.32. And so I think that that shows, or it seems to suggest um, the market's concern about refinancing the, those hold co-maturities in 2022. It seems like um, they're, they're the market is no longer willing, or, or people in the market are no longer willing to uh, pay a premium to, to, to own those credits. Um, turning to the the uh, Digital Limited notes, the, the Digital Limited 21 bonds um, traded to uh, 81.50, roughly 81.82 from 80, um, and the 23s, um, similar price moving up, up roughly two points to 71.72. Um, so it was sort of an interesting dichotomy there um, with the Digital Limited bonds rallying a bit. Um, and the the versus the twenty two hold co's um, trading off and the so the Digicel Limited those are op, opco bonds is that yeah so the Digicel Limited bonds um, are are not necessarily opco bonds because just because Limited um, is sort of a, a holding company but they are structurally senior to the um, DGL1 and DGL2 bonds. So the way the structure it sits, you have Digicel Limited on the Caribbean side. Um, Digicel Lin- Limited owns Digicel Holdings, which then in turn owns uh, Diffle, uh, and Diffle owns all of the Caribbean operating subsidiaries. Got it. Yeah, thank you for that. So what's next here? Yeah, so the next uh, big maturity um, is the the 2021 bonds at Digital Limited. There's 1.3 billion coming due. Um, those bonds declined from around 88 to 80 around the time the note offering was announced. So going into the note offering, those bonds traded off. But again, um, you know, we, we we noted that they sort of bounced on the news of ex- of the exchange, and now I think they're trading back around the, the mid 80s. Um, the company has uh, roughly. Or, or I should say, before the bond, uh, the, before, before the offering got upsized, the original um, offering memorandum showed 207.5 million of pro forma cash at Diffle, and um, the company re- reported 96 million of consolidated cash at the end of the most recent quarter. Um, the exchange, uh, the exchange uh, OM, the original one, um, describes a parent code deleveraging plan, and it really points primarily to EBITDA growth. Um, but the company has. Really, it hasn't really been growing EBITDA. Um, so, you know, conservatively, if you assume um, little to no EBITDA growth in 
line with what the recent performance has been, then it's pretty hard to see how um, there's going to be like a, an, an organic uh, delevering of, of the capital structure. Um, the company also pointed to asset sales um, and an equity raise. Uh, but based on our conversations, I think that the market is a little less convinced um, about the prospect of, of, of asset sales, especially the prospect of, of substantial asset sales. Um, and, you know, so I think since we have Peter here, I'm going to uh, pass off the mic to him um, to maybe talk a little bit about how the, the covenants in the new 24 notes relate to the, these upcoming maturities. Sure. Uh, thanks, Kyle. Um, you know, so as you were saying, all of uh, all of the companies, kind of the cash and the operating companies are at uh, uh, Digicel International and below. So obviously, um, Digicel International's ability to upstream cash to both uh, Digicel Limited and Digicel Group are important. Um, so because of the weird structure where you have, um, you know, the Topco uh, issuing debt, it has two subsidiaries that are also issuing debt, then you have Digicel Limited issuing debt, and you have Digicel International issuing debt. All of the debt documents uh, contain some kind of restrictions on uh, each of these companies' ability to upstream cash. So in these new notes, um, Digicel International itself is not restricted from upstreaming cash. But because the upstreaming of the cash would be a dividend, uh, that cash can only go to its equity owner, which is Bermuda Holdings. Uh, the new notes allow Bermuda Holdings to upstream cash to Digicel Limited, subject to a three times net first lien leverage test. Um, the companies are Digicel International and Bermuda Holdings are well within the the three time net first lien test, so they have a lot of capacity to upstream cash to Digicel Limited. Um, now, while obviously there were no covenants in these new notes that uh, restricted Digicel Limited. Um, we have looked at uh, those bonds, and Digicel Limited can then upstream cash to Digicel Group, um, subject to a four times leverage test. And now this is pure conjecture, but um, so the net result of Digicel International's new notes was uh, an increase of outstanding debt, I think, of about 200 million. Um, before the issuance, Digicel Limited. I think it could have met the four times test, but it had very little room. So I think the additional debt uh, pro forma for this transaction may have pushed that either even closer or in excess. So Digicel Limited may be um, significantly restricted from upstreaming cash to Digicel Group, which could be the cause of some of the decline in the trading activity. Um, but overall, it was uh, the, the transaction doesn't have any real risks for Digicel Limited in that um, Digicel International is well within the three times first lien test and can continue to upstream cash to it. Great. Thank you both for that. Um, that was really helpful on Digicel. Let's move along to Constellation Oil Services. Kyle, um, I understand that they, um, they reached an amended plan and support agreement. Uh, so why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so the big uh, the big highlight here, one of the highlights I should say, is that the uh, the amended PSA um, includes a twenty seven million rights offering that's backstopped by hedge funds um, Capri and uh, Moneda. So 
there's a um, a, a roll up mechanism um, with this rights offering, um, and so you have uh, a little bit of um, incremental liquidity there for the company. So to describe it in, in more detail, there's going to be, like I said, a 27 million rights offering from those funds. Um, lenders under the um, the vessels, the Amarillina, the Laguna, and the Brava Star are going to relend 39 million. Um, and then the working capital lender, Banco Bradesco, will provide a, a new 10 million um, working capital facility. Uh, so the coupon um, on the, on the participants Participating 2024 notes is going to be uh, 10% pick um, from September 2018 to November 2021, um, and then after that will be 9% cash plus 1% pick from 22 to 24. Uh, for non-participating holders, it's going to be the same 10% pick from 18 to 21, but then afterwards 7% cash and 3% pick. Um, if the rights offering isn't funded in full, then the coupon will be 10% uh, pick until 2024 uh, for the the non-participating lenders. Um, and then, you know, like I said, there's this 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 roll-up mechanism. And so when you look at the, the 2024 note collateral, they're going to get their existing collateral. Um, but then in addition, um, the, the, the participating 2024 holders um, can roll up into a, a second lien on the 24 collateral um, at 15 times. Um, the, the first lien is going to go to Bradesco to get the, the 10 million. Um, and then the 27 million of new 2024 notes, uh, the 2024 note new money is going to also share that first lien with Bradesco with the uh, remaining participating non-roll-up 24 claims getting a third lien and the fourth and final lien um, being shared peri Pursu with the 10 mil, uh, sorry, 100 million um, existing Bradesco working capital facilities, 30 million of Bradesco letters of credit, and then um, the, the non-participating 24 holders. Another interesting aspect of this plan is you're, you're seeing two, um, two holding companies created. Um, so you've got Holdco 1 and Holdco 2. And Holdco 2 um, is going to be uh, the, the, the entity, the sorry, the holding company that is closest um, to the, the Brava, Amarillina, and Laguna um, star companies. And uh, Holdco 2 is granting guarantees um, to the, let's call them the ALB lenders. Um, Holdco 1, on the other hand, will be granting um, guarantees uh, to the, to the, to Bradesco um, in the 20, the uh, 27 million 24 notes. So um, you have that Holdco 1 first lien that's going to be subordinated to the ALB lender liens. Um, yeah, so that, that's sort of an overview of the, uh, the new money and the collateral. It's great. So we've got four liens, two whole coasts. Pretty uh, simple. Yeah, pretty standard, you know. <laughs> um, so you said Moneda and Capri uh, were backstopping. Um, you know this. How much do they own? Yeah, so Mineta and uh, Cap Re own um, 51% of the 24 notes. And just really quickly, um, just a brief cap, st cap stack overview, um, the ALB, at the ALB, um, you have um, 128 million, um, 132 million, and 332.4 million. Um, the notes, you have around, uh, call it 906 million. And then the, um, the Bradesco, um, the, the working capital facility, roughly 150 million. So that sort of gives you an idea of what we're talking about in terms of orders of magnitude. Perfect. Um, so what, um, 
what could go wrong here? Where I guess what are outstanding disputes? Yeah. So um, and and sorry, I actually misspoke on the new secured note. So it's six hundred six million, not nine hundred six. But um, in terms of the outstanding dispute, so Constellation is actually involved in a dispute with uh, Alperton Capital. Alperton is uh, Constellation's former JV partner. Um, they are currently in arbitration. On January 29th, um, Alperton filed a limited objection um, seeking to prevent recognition of um, Constellation's Brazilian RJ um, and objected to the RJ proceeding on the basis that uh, the, the, the debtor's Comey is, is not in Brazil, and so Brazil's not the... Um, the uh, the center of main interest. Um, more recently, on um, in response to a February twenty seventh order requiring parties to address questions regarding um, the debtor's eligibility to file for an RJ process in Brazil, um, representatives of the Constellation Group and Alperton filed uh, briefs, um, and then. Uh, even more recently, um, sorry, so in, in those briefs, uh, con- uh, count- Council for Alperton um, pointed to legal uncertainties and uh, Constellation Group's foreign representative sort of highlighted that an entity that has its main place of business in Brazil um, is eligible to be a debtor within the, uh, the judicial recovery. And what's the timeline here? Yeah, so under the plan support agreement, um, the, the, the plan uh, is to be agreed upon by, by consenting lenders within seven calendar days from the date of the amended PSA, um, which, you know, takes it to, um, I, think it, er, I think, early March um, for, for voting. And then the, the confirmation order um, is uh, to be issued by the Brazilian Bankruptcy Court um, no later than six months from the RG, RJ, I'm sorry, acceptance date. Um, and then the actual closing date, so when the plan itself is fully implemented, that's six months from confirmation. And in December 2018, um, John Cunningham of White and Case, sort of told, he told the court that the, the debtor's plan was to have a creditor's vote sometime in March. And so it seems like they're everything, I shouldn't say everything, but it seems like most of, most of the proceedings are moving according to plan. Great. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and that is Constellation. So let's um, move on to, uh, to the next name, uh, Odebrecht. Uh, tell us what's, uh, what's been going on there. What are some of the latest events? Yeah, so the um, you had the ad hoc group of bondholders um, on March third. They released a proposal that was presented to the company. Um, the proposal is predicated on this three hundred seventy-five million cash infusion um, to satisfy an intercompany balance. But additional key features, and this is a big one: um, no nominal haircut for bondholders um, and leaving the equity uh, unimpaired. Um, and then you basically amend and extend the bonds. There's a four-year maturity extension. Um, Odebrecht can pay cash or pick at two and a half percent over the current um, interest rate from 19 till 2021. And then another big aspect of the proposal you, w- w- leans on shares of Braskem and unencumbered assets and then tighten the uh, tighten the covenants. And the group owns, uh, the press release said, over $1 billion of the bonds, which means they own over 33% of the unsecured um, Odebrecht finance bonds. Um, the company responded... Um, Saying and I quote that the the sub the proposal was not the subject of discussions between the company and the ad hoc group and does not come with the support of the company. Um, Odebrecht also said that the proposal is not viable. <laughs> okay, so so with with that, um, then yeah, uh, 
how you know let's look at the company itself then uh, you know what sort of cash flow expectations are we looking at um, operationally here yeah so the the group expects um, backlog additions of, of around 1.1 billion in 2019 followed by a jump to two point eight billion um, and then an 87 percent uh, year-on-year increase from there in 2021 um, by by you know by 2040 um, the group expects cash flow before debt service to grow by six billion um, with the the vast majority of revenue from 21 onwards coming from backlog to be awarded um, Brazil is expected to make up around 30 percent of total revenue on average between 2019 and 2023 so I mean essentially the the company's um, operating assumptions show a significant recovery Recovery uh, in in cash flow, basically coming from projects uh, to be awarded, um, and the bondholders are effectively arguing um, that you know if you're ex- if you're expecting this 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 huge cash infusion over time, um, you should be able to um, pay off the bonds uh, if, if and 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 it justifies or warrants um, no haircut in in the plan. Great. So that's that's interesting, Kyle. So uh, you know, Odebrecht, um, they think the business is is improving. But let's go back to the creditor proposal um, here. They um, they don't want you know a haircut, as you said. They want to leave equity unimpaired, um, take an MPV um, haircut. Um, but you know, and when it comes to coupons, uh, they say uh, pick the coupons in exchange for liens on Broscam um, and tighter covenants, uh, of course, too. So let's uh, let, let's let's turn to Broscam. What's going on there? Yeah. So um, just to take a step back, one thing that we've heard um, one common refrain when it comes to Odebrecht is uh, that that the company is very well known for its engineering expertise. Um, however, it's it's a very asset light business, um, making it pretty difficult for bondholders in restructuring to recover value, and so that's where Braskem comes in. Um, Braskem has a market cap of around eleven billion reais, um, and. OSP Investments, a subsidiary of uh, parent co Odebrecht SA, owns around 38.3% of Braskem total capital. Um, OEC, um, the issuer of the relevant bonds, owns roughly 41.5% of OSP total capital. Um, the the problem here, one one issue that needs to be uh, worked out is that the Brascom shares are not unencumbered. Um, those shares guarantee about three billion of uh, debentures and bank debt. Great. And um, when we bring Brascom uh, into the conversation, that also um, involves Lionel Basil, uh, which is something that we spoke about uh, the last time. You said that there are ongoing talks between the two companies. Uh, so I guess that's that could be a way that they monetize the stake. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's that's the angle here, or the potential angle for for bondholders to 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 realize value um, in in a restructuring involving a company that again is is pretty asset light. You know, you have a potential event coming up, um, Lion Double Cell. There there are ongoing talks regarding um, the Odebrecht stake um, on on Lion Dell's most recent earnings call. The company's CEO said that Lion Dell has completed quote high quality due diligence. Um, there. 
there are a few follow-up items. Um, the, the, there are ongoing discussions with relevant stakeholders, including Odebrecht, but the CEO said that, you know, warned that they don't know whether or not the discussions will lead to an agreement. Um, a January 17th Reuters article said that Odebrecht expects to receive a formal bid by the end of March. So we will be doing work around that um, and we will be on the lookout. So will we. Thank you very much, uh, Kyle. Uh, Peter, appreciate it too. And Alex, back to you. Thank you for listening. That's another week. As always, you can find all Reorg podcasts on our site's media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. This has been the Week in Reorg. I'm Alex Brosman. 